Welcome to Humane Voices, the official podcast of the Humane Society of the United States. Carrie and Austin here for another episode. Hey, grocery shoppers. It is that holiday season, so I know that you're all out um, fighting over the last grocery items in the store. I know because I saw you yesterday. Um, are you confused by labels on animal products? What does cage-free mean? What does certified humane mean? Um, we had a really good conversation, Carrie, with uh, Emily Smith about um, what the labels on animal products really mean and what they don't. So please stay tuned. That's going to be a really, really good interview happening a little bit later in the episode. But first, let's, uh, let's talk about the news. Excellent. Let's talk about the news. All right. So Carrie, an eight-foot python has strangled an Indiana woman uh, in a house of 140 snakes belonging to a Benton County sheriff. A lot to unpack here. So many questions. Um, why... Why are there 140 snakes? Um, why does the sheriff have them? Why wasn't Samuel L. Jackson called? It is a really good question. We tried to get him on this podcast, but, you know, that guy won't work for under, you know, at least $1,000. He declined <laughs> for mean... an interview because that's all we could really afford right He's now. He's tired of the snakes on a plane joke, most likely. Yeah, really. Yeah, I just, listen, it's a very serious matter that we're talking about. Obviously, this is a this is a, a terrible death but this is the point that we're driving home is that we're, we need to prevent the keeping of dangerous wild animals and the pets and exactly pets and it's totally crazy i mean if we go through like the list that we have of people who have been hurt or killed including children and we should add innocent children innocent innocent uh because you know that's the only kind of children um but in all seriousness like these 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 snakes are being kept by people who and some of them are you know some of them are people who who think they know what who think they know what they're doing um and who are are just simply fascinated by these animals and and like keeping them and and consider themselves animal lovers and yet it's so easy for something to go wrong with an animal that is a large dangerous animal such as a boa constrictor such as a, a venomous snake um, we see these things happen all the time, you know, not just with reptiles, but um, with, with other large exotics. Yeah. Back in February, we were talking about um, the tiger that was down in the abandoned Houston home. Right. Um, don't keep tigers. Don't keep it's tigers. It's not a great idea. But Go get a striped cat from your animal shelter. They're tiny tigers. You can <sighs> take pictures of them with your phone that pretend that they're tigers. It's not as fun, but also you don't die. It's good. Is there is there a weird theme that's going on here, too? Because the person that found the tiger was also another interesting suspect oh, protagonist right. yeah, in the story. Yeah, right. It Although it's, it was law enforcement versus, versus someone who was there to smoke pot. So yeah. it's sort of like the polar ends of the exotic animal keeping. Right. Thing? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, HSUS is urging Indiana legislator to pass some stronger laws to prevent irresponsible people from harboring deadly predators that endanger communities, first responders. Um, we'll also just let everybody living in Andy Indiana know that of our lists of these these incidents, there is there is an incredible list of, of these things happening in Indiana because the laws are somewhat lax. Um, Any like, highlights? like some of them are just okay. One-year-old boy bitten on the hand by a four-foot pet boa constrictor, escaped from a cage and was hiding in a dresser drawer. Um, let's see what else. Uh, gotcha. Police officers responding to a 3 a.m. call about a snake in a road discovered a boa constrictor was five feet long. There's more awful. Oh, a 23-year-old man with experience handling reptiles was killed by his 14-foot reticulated python. This guy knew what he was doing. Still, yeah. 14-foot reticulated python. If you're going to go up against that, you're going to lose. 
didn't didn't really and also it's horrible for the animals i mean that's the really that's the thing you know we talk about these tragedies that happen to people when these things when these things go wrong but really frequently the tragedy is an ongoing tragedy that only becomes newsworthy when a human is killed but the actual tragedy well not the actual tragedy because obviously the death of the death of a human being is is always tragic but the ongoing tragedy frequently is that these animals are living for years in horrible conditions and are suffering a whole lot. And then only because this becomes a news incident does this sort of suffering get exposed. Absolutely. The next news story, a little bit on a lighter note and a celebratory note, actually. Michigan just passed legislation that criminalizes the confinement of hens in cages and mandates all shell eggs sold in the state be cage free. So pretty uh, amazing piece of news. It's also requiring enrichments that are critical for hens' psychological and physical well-being. So they're taking a little bit better care of these animals. Um, first, California voters uh, said yes for Prop 12. Now, Michigan, uh, the legislators are, are enacting some um, pretty sweeping change as well. That is a great piece of news, and it transitions us very nicely into our interview with Emily Smith, who will talk about terms like cage-free and what they actually mean, because cage-free is actually one of the things that does mean something. But as you'll hear in a few minutes, there are a whole bunch of terms that you'll see in your local grocery store that actually mean nothing, that aren't regulated and have no essential meaning, and so they can really mislead consumers to buy products that may be cruel when they may not intend to. All right, grocery shoppers, you want to learn more? Stay tuned after this break, and we'll come right back. Welcome back to Humane Voices. Today we are chatting about labeling animal products with Emily Smith, editorial director of All Animals Magazine, the member magazine of the Humane Society of the United States, who wrote a great article on what food labels mean for animal welfare. So, Emily, I'd like to think that I'm an informed consumer as I'm uh, headed to the grocery store yesterday evening trying to fight for a parking spot. Um, wondering why I didn't go on a Wednesday evening, but it's because I have the preparation skills of a carrot. Um, <laughs> but as I'm standing in, in the grocery store, eventually once I get inside, I, I'm standing After face murdering to, several uh, other oh my parkers. Gosh, yeah. I can't mm-hmm. even begin. It was triggering yeah. yesterday, so <laughs> recording on a Monday. I <laughs> couldn't sleep last night. Um, but when I'm standing face-to-face with, with labels like cage-free, responsibly handled, uh, grass-fed versus grass-finished, humanely raised. Raised I, in a spa, yeah. rubbed down with, you know, doilies. I mean, yeah. seri- I, I can't I can't help but think that I'm a little bit uh, confused in the dark about this, and I don't feel like I'm alone with the way that these labels come across. So I guess my first question for you are, is, are some companies intentionally trying to be a little bit confusing, a little bit misleading, and, and why is that? I think that you're not alone definitely not alone because that's where this story idea came from as we were hearing from donors and members and readers who were asking us the questions so we tried to put together something that was a little bit comprehensive with the article trying to break down what things mean and more importantly what they don't Mm -hmm. as far as our companies intentionally being misleading you would hope not Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but i think i think that they're really catching on that consumers are paying attention they're reading okay. labels, and they and that consumers really do care about where their food comes from and how it's raised. So they're responding to that by putting those labels on there. But the tricky part is not all the labels that you see are certified or clearly defined by the USDA. Um, things like cage-free are, but when you get into, quote-unquote, humanely raised or socially raised, 
thoughtfully raised, they're not. That, that, that isn't something that's verified by the USDA. So that, that's where it gets complicated for the consumer on what things mean and what they don't. Do you have a sense of, um, in terms of like packaging, I'm, one of the things I'm always curious about, and this comes into my other weird little side gig about alcohol a lot, there are a lot of rules about what you can put on a bottle of alcohol in terms of how you can market it. I'm always curious about how that translates into the animal products world because you can read all these things that say, that indicate you're, you're taking in, you're buying a product that came from happy cows. And even if the language isn't there, sometimes the imagery will suggest, mm-hmm. you know, they'll show cows in a green field and they're smiling. And I mean, is, is, are things like the imagery um, regulated as well? I mean, are there particular things that are and are not re- regulated on a label? The USDA is supposed to be checking all of that. Mm. Um, the, the things with the the imagery, right? Like where it says cage free and it shows a pasture, and mm. but cage free doesn't mean that they have access to the outdoors. Cage yeah. free just means literally they are not in cages. Um, even things like free range means they have access to the outside, but the USDA doesn't regulate the quality of that access mm. for free range, not even the amount of time that they have access to the outside. So it could be a little concrete patch that they have access to, and that qualifies for the, the free range label. Interesting. But the imagery, yeah, um, you can see the, the grassy fields and the picturesque barns, but that's not necessarily the way that they're raised. It's It's... It's very confusing. So there are so many, it seems like so many labels that are out there in the world now. Um, When you were researching the article Mm -hmm. and and when you published that, uh, were there labels that eventually stood out as more meaningful than others? Are there ones that really stuck out in your mind as um, a a good standard for uh, labeling practices and ones that were a little bit more of red flags as, hey, that that type of labeling is a little bit more vague? Sure. the ones that stand out as being more meaningful are ones that are verified by a third-party certifier. Like um, Certified Humane has a third-party inspection process. Um, as a consumer, that is one good thing to look for is for a label that is held accountable by someone else, that it's not just the producer reporting on themselves saying, hey, we're doing a good job over here. You have somebody else coming in on a regular basis that's verifying your claims. So Certified Humane is a good one. Um, Global Animal Partnership, that shows up on your label as Animal Welfare Certified. It's like a it's a square. Yeah. And then the, the GAP certification, it comes in five different levels. So the base level, their, their animals are never in cages. And all of the levels, they don't give them hormone, growth hormones. They don't take antibiotics. So that's their base level. And then it just goes up from there with the top level being a level five. And at that level, the animals spend their entire life on the farm. Mm-hmm. They're never transported. When, they're, when they head to slaughter, they're not transported there, which can be a very stressful process for animals. So it's one of the most comprehensive terms of, of standards. I see that, that, you that can at Whole Foods, right? Yeah, that's one of the places. Yeah. You, you'll also find it, it, it used to be much more limited, but now you're finding it other places. Mm-hmm. I've seen it at Target. Um, oh, that's great. So Good. you can find it at more mass retailers, and then they color code it. So you can it has the color code, and then it also has the number. So mm-hmm. you can see what level it is. Right. The higher the level, the, the more humane standards. So that is one of the more meaningful ones. But the third-party certifiers is, is big. Um, things like all natural, um, even just the word humane without that third-party certifier, you're looking for a seal that comes from an independent party, not the producer. That will give you a little bit more of an indication that someone else is verifying these claims. It's not just a company saying them. 
That's a really good point. So for everyone listening, again, if you are at the store looking at these labels, try to look out for that third-party certification when you're when you're looking for those animal products. One of the ones that I've always found particularly frustrating and annoying is the um, when you read that animals were vegetarian fed. Mm, yes. Um, because it always suggests <laughs> to me, like, it, people think, oh, vegetarian, that, that means something good. good. That means something like animal welfare related. But in fact, it just means those animals will f- were fed vegetables, right? They could have been fed those vegetables in a horrible, horrible place. Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah it just means that they're not being fed animal byproducts for one mm-hmm. like um, their own children right exactly <laughs> yes so Cute. so in yeah. that way it's meaningful but not in terms of their welfare like where they're living they mm-hmm. could still be in cages but vegetarian fed um and in some instances that's not a good thing when you're talking about chickens they're supposed to be out free roaming showing natural behaviors which involves eating bugs eating bugs right, right. yeah that's really interesting yeah and, and when they say free range or those types of things again if they don't have a certification that free range term could mean some any number of things right Right. free range is one that the usda officially defines as having access to the outdoors it doesn't determine the the quality of the access like that's where it sounds nice like it could be grass it might be grass Mm -hmm. it might be concrete it could be anything um and it also doesn't have any standards for the amount of time that they have access to the outdoors so free range cage-free pasture raised those are some of the ones that uh, do apply for usda standards but the tricky part and we were talking about this earlier with cage-free that you'll see it on some chickens that are raised for meat but traditionally chickens raised for meat are not in cages it just it's to me, that's one of the examples of a of a producer catching on that that's a term that consumers are looking for, and, and so they it. and yep. so they use it when yeah. it's not necessarily meaningful. Um, it's it's great that they are not in cages, but chickens who are raised for meat have their own set of problems mm-hmm. that are not addressed on a label. Is the USDA the only one that check it that checks these types of practices? Is that the the main? Th- that's the main one. And then okay. you have, like, if there's an independent certifier like Certified Humane or okay. GAP where they have independent people that come around to check. Got it. Do we have a sense of how um, how in- engaged the USDA? I mean, is it do they have the same issues around, like, um, the – like, we know, for example, that supposedly puppy mills and, and breeders of a certain de- – uh, who, who produce a certain volume of animals a year are supposed to be USDA regulated. But, in fact, most of them don't get the visits that would actually guarantee anything. I think this falls in line with that, too, where there's so many producers out there and so many people who are applying for certain terms that I, I think that, yes, yeah. they, they've obviously got a backlog. So, Emily, for in, in the consumer's eyes, what is the best way to tackle some of these confusing labeling issues? What can we do in order to check? Research, which sounds very tedious and boring when you're in the grocery <laughs> store. But you've got your phone right there. Right. Whip out your phone. Look Everybody up the company. Has the source of all human knowledge in their hands right now. Right. So it's not like exactly. it used to be. Yeah. Look it up. Um, if And really, the easiest thing would probably be before you go, um, if you buy animal products, check and see what you already have in your refrigerator. Look at the label. See if it gives you a specific like requirement or, or a specific label. Look up what that means before you go. Um, but if you're in the store and you're trying to figure it out, look for that third-party seal. Read what the term is and then decide what does that mean to you. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very like the thoughtfully raised or socially, what does that actually Mm -hmm. mean? Look it up on the company's website. If their 
proud of their standards, they're going to show it to you. They're going to give you specifics about how their animals are raised, how much space they have. There's basic questions that you can ask yourself, and that's one of the big ones, is how much space do these animals have? Are they able to show natural behaviors like pecking for chickens we were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier? You're looking for specifics, and they should be willing to tell you. If you can't find specifics on what things mean, I think there's a reason that you're not able to find that. I think with the pop-up of a lot of like local markets and um, these opportunities for a lot of consumers to now shop local and mm-hmm. support your local farms, et cetera, et cetera, is that um, – is that necessarily any better or worse than because I've seen labels that say you know from your local farmer or you know support your local um, you know animal producer etc cetera, etc cetera. is that a, a, an interesting alternative as well I think it can be okay. I think it's important to talk to those producers as well ask them the questions mm-hmm. and that's one of the huge advantages is that you've got FaceTime with them okay so you can ask them in person if you're going to your local farmers market how do you raise your animals what are your standards of care and get to know them. I think that that's a great alternative. Um, Looking on the label, I would be a little bit wary of just going based on family farm, et cetera, Mm. because that's probably unregulated. It's right. And, and everybody's part of a family. Everybody is part of a family. (laughs) It it gives you that sense of it's a smaller producer, but Mm. it doesn't necessarily mean that. That's where you, that's where you want to. I was family raised myself and it was a terrible experience. (laughs) (laughs) Take it from me. <laughs> um, research. Yeah, Do research. Do some research. Um, yes. And if you want to av- avoid it altogether, there are also plant-based alternatives Definitely. that you can do too. Definitely. Yeah. And that's one of the um, – in the article, we had a, a side thing of things that people can do. One is to look for those higher standards. If you're not seeing them at your grocery store – Ask the owner. Let them know that you're looking for higher standards of care. Um, Recommend some of the seals that are third-party certified. Look for more of those. You can reduce the amount of animal products that you're eating. That helps reduce the demand for factory farm products. Um, In terms of finding real, um, like really good information, we actually have had readers reach out to you as the editor of All Animals to to say that they've printed out this this story in All Animals because it has such good information. Yes, we've heard from several readers who said they they literally rip the page out of the magazine and take it with them when they're grocery shopping to compare which ones are regulated by the USDA, looking for those third-party seals so they can make more educated choices as a consumer. I think producers are paying attention. That's awesome. Um, that's what fueled the whole cage-free thing, and now cage-free is pretty much the standard. That's mm-hmm. what you're going to find almost everywhere, and that used to be the what people were looking for, and now we're moving along, and people are looking for other standards. Yeah. Um, I think what you said, like one of the things that I really, I think it's really great for re- for listeners to hear is about um, consumers can advocate for the products they want to see. Definitely. I mean, that is one of the things that, you know, producers and, and the government will, will listen to us, but we're, you know, we're here to advocate for her animals, and when they start hearing it from the people who are actually spending the money in these places, they take it more seriously. I mean, obviously, we're all shopping for groceries as well, but... Everything that the average consumer can do to say that they want food with better standards is is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I think that you know, given the choice, I don't think consumers go out there looking for a product that right. they know comes from an animal who is treated cruelly. No one is looking for that. It's as as they become more aware, consumers can do more to drive that change. Totally, yeah, because it's it's mostly about people just not having the awareness around these things. And there is, you know, there is deceptive labeling. I mean, I think that one of the things that's ironic right now is that some of the some of the very companies that have been 
perhaps using deceptive labeling for a long time are now going after plant-based products and saying, mm-hmm. you know, like almond milk should be kept in a completely different se- section of the grocery store because it's not real milk. That you can't call a veggie yeah, burger a burger weird. because yeah. it's not made from meat. Yes. Yes. And I think I think that's an example of them feeling the pressure from consumers exactly. and they see that these plant-based products are gaining traction yep. and becoming more popular as people become more aware. So we can look at it as a victory. It is a victory. I just can't believe that I'm I was so <laughs> angry yesterday at Trader Joe's, but this makes me so much happier. I was going to gonna say, I don't, I don't think I'm it... Even, that doesn't even matter. This does, this does not address your issues in the parking lot of Trader and, Joe's, but it does. But it does make me a lot <laughs> happier about my um, my happiness and in, in information when I'm headed to the grocery store. So thank you so much. Thank you for helping me with well, thank you. Austin Austin <laughs> is so angry about his grocery store parking lot experience yesterday that he's actually pounding the mic. At I've lost point. sleep. He is, he is furious. You should see him right now. Like, All right. So if you're listening at home and you are wondering how I can get my hands on the list that we were talking about of... Uh, what the labels on animal products really mean and what they don't, head to humanesociety.org slash allanimals. And you can take a look at the giraffe on the front of the All Animals magazine, and it will be in that article there by Emily Smith. So it's in that issue, but not in that, that article, because not, we, oh, we have right. not actually done anything about giraffe meat. That is a very <laughs> niche product, and there is no humane version of giraffe meat. So, we But just look for the cover of <laughs> yes. the giraffe. It's our the first giraffe in, cover. Yeah. Oh. We yeah, haven't had a exactly. giraffe on the cover before. So that, yes, that article is with something different. You're welcome to read that article as well. Okay. So you but don't eat giraffes. Don't eat giraffes. A lot of the, the big point is definitely print out this article, read it over, and start at home. Um, look in your fridge and see what the labels really mean. And if you, if you don't know what they mean, uh, do a little bit more research. See if it's certified by a third party. Right, Emily? Definitely. And that was one of my big takeaways is the, the label might look good or the, the terminology that they're using sounds good, but you really need to get down on the level and ask yourself, like, what does this mean? What does humanely raised mean? Or whatever claim they're putting on it. And if you can't find the specifics of what that means, there, there's probably a reason why they're using some vague terminology. You really want to get down and, and figure out what the label means. All right, Emily, thank you so much for, uh, for being on the show today. We really, really appreciate sitting down with you. And we hope it was helpful for everybody listening on what these labels really mean. And have a great holiday season. Yeah. And keep in mind uh, what you're shopping for while you're preparing all those delicious holiday meals. Well, that's all we have for today's show. A big thank you to Emily Smith for joining us on the interview today. Be sure to follow HSUS and HSI on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the website humanesociety.org for the latest info. You can also message podcast at humanesociety.org and send us your reactions, questions you have, topics that you want to hear for our next episode. See you next time on Humane Voices. Humane Voices.